Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. This is your host, Bill Sickens. Jeremy and Gretchen, welcome to the show. Hey. Hello there. Well, it's been quite a week. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's a good word for it. To put it mildly, with the things that are going on in the world that have come up so suddenly in many ways. We've been having a lot of questions coming in and we wanted to take advantage of our first segment today to talk a little bit about technology and how it works and some of the difficulties that may be and why some things are vulnerable and others are not when you get into a situation like this where you have a war and you're dealing with an entirely different level of needing to defend your electronic stuff, your electronic online websites and all that type of thing than you would in normal times. So the first thing, and this is our Tech Wednesday this week as well, is dealing with how to help. So in a situation like with the Ukraine, a lot of people want to get together and provide support. And in this particular set of circumstances, like many of the others that we've had in the past, this is when the scammers come out because they want to get your money. And that type of a situation is really ramped up when people are thinking about other things and you're just trying to do the right thing. So online with that, you want to take some precautions. First of all, if you're giving money to a charity, make sure, number one, that it's actually going to where you think it is. So in other words, don't click on a link in an email or a solicitation or anything like that. Those always should be met with red flags. and Go to the website by opening your browser and either searching for it or putting in the URL directly if you know what it is. If you click through an email, it's very easy to hide that or it will look like it's the right thing when in fact it's going somewhere completely different that could be doing identity theft or stealing money or that type of a thing. The other thing is dealing with the charities themselves. And this is one area where technology excels that you can go on and check these things out. There's a couple of Donation Organization Watchdogs, Charity Navigator, GuideStar, Charity Watcher, a couple of these. And they have information about organizations and how well they perform. Now, some of the things to look at is, number one, is it a valid charity? You know, that's a good starting point, right? Yeah, yeah just because it has a name of, 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 of something that you want to help doesn't mean that it is what it is. Exactly, exactly. And then the second thing of it is, is in the United States, Our charities that are tax-deductible usually will have what's called a 501c3 status. What that number refers to is the IRS tax code. I am no expert on IRS tax code, but that's what that is. And you can go to the IRS's website, and there's a charity look up there to be able to verify that who you're giving to has this credential. It does two things. It's not that you're not allowed to give to a charity without it. But if you want to take a tax deduction or a write-off, that's the real reason that they document it. But on the same time, a credible charity should have a 501c3 number in the United States. Now, again, that doesn't apply necessarily internationally. For those, you want to go to the sites that we just mentioned, like Charity Navigator, and look them up. The other information that you can get from these places is also the effectiveness of the charity. And what that refers to is if I give the charity $100, how much of it is actually going to the cause that they're saying it's going to. Now, any organization is going to have some administrative costs. Those type of things are normal. 
But if your administrative cost is 85%, I ran into this today, which is where I got those Hmm. numbers, and 15% actually goes to the whatever they're trying to raise money for, that, to me, is not an effective charity. (laughs) No. No. That sounds like somebody's um, using uh, um, a disaster or or, um, charity to um, fund themselves. Yeah, and there's a lot of these out there where they're making payroll and doing other things. And again, it's not a bad thing to have people work for your charity, and that's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, in order to be able to do things and have people be able to focus on it, they have to be paid a wage. Nothing wrong with that, nothing illegal about it. But if the money you're go- giving doesn't go in a greater amount to what it's supposed to, then go ahead and look for another charity. Um, one of the other things that you can do is also look at something called the Better Business Bureau Wise Giving Alliance Report. And uh, we have a link to that in our Tech Wednesday article at theanswerportland.com. And you can go ahead and look there and get some information and contact information on several charities that are BBB, Better Business Bureau approved, and have already been vetted. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. And helping is a wonderful thing and very needed right now. But just don't get scammed. So another question that's been coming in in spades is we've been talking about things like ramping up cyber attacks and all that kind of thing. Now, Just uh, to put this in context, we do record a little bit before we air, so it's quite possible something may have happened between now and the time that you hear this. Yeah. So just from that standpoint, Hmm. we're looking forward right now. And the concern with all of this kind of stuff is is we've had a number of big hacks over the past few years. Mm -hmm. We had the hack with the social security numbers from Experian. We have had a number of things where a lot of personal information and that type of thing has gotten out. And this is usually related to identity theft and those kind of problems. But the other one that's a little bit more, I would say, scary when it comes to dealing with what we're dealing with now with world politics and with the war in the Ukraine is that um, about two years ago now, malware was placed into a software distribution system. We talked about it on the show at the time that it happened that was automatically distributed to many government agencies in the United States and elsewhere in the world, as well as a number of private companies and that type of a thing. And this is something that to this day has been addressed, but has not yet been completely cleaned up. Mm-hmm. So you can have a logic bomb or a backdoor that's not known about in some of these bigger systems. And this is where a concern comes up because that can affect things like the power grid functioning of the dam, water distribution systems, infrastructure, and different things like that, they can cause major problems, as well as banking systems. I know they're on red alert here in the United States for... Do you have the name of this software, just in case people are listening and want to double-check their businesses? See, unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. It's not like you can go to add remove programs Mm. and go, oh, there's a virus. (laughs) Oh, okay. I thought it was snuck into a certain software. Okay. It, it, It is snuck into a number of different softwares. But once it gets into the network system on the receiving end, this was sent out through automatic updates and some things like that. On the receiving ends, then it gets into that system, and you can uninstall the program that it came in on, and you still but have it the still virus. Sits there. Yeah, it still sits okay. there. Okay, and is is idle until somebody wants to do something with it. Uh, hmm. I, I call it something like Winter Soldier Syndrome or pop culture, so people will understand that, where you get yeah, the yeah. right codes and it causes it to do whatever it is designed to do. 
Or General Order 66. Yes, there's another one, you know? <laughs> Very good, yeah. Yeah, yeah these, <laughs> these type of things. But to put that into context, that's what's going on. And the problem with that is, is to get this out of these systems was going to require a ground-up rebuild. And some oh. steps have taken place to be able to scan and different things like that. But I'm just from my own work in the professional world in the computer and ITM industry know that most companies have not done a ground up rebuild of their network since this happened. Hmm. And because of that, it is definitely a very real possibility that something like this could come to light. Now, all of the normal things that we would use to safeguard on the internet are still valid here. The biggest thing, again, don't click on links and emails when you don't know where they came from, or even if it looks like you do, be suspicious. Don't open file attachments that are unknown in emails. All of that kind of stuff. One of the other things that's being used a lot is website name spoofing, where they'll have a domain that's registered that's maybe one letter off of the real one. Common thing to maybe mistype it or something like that. You get to a site that looks like, feels like what it's supposed to be when, in fact, it is something completely different. And again, all of these things are something to look at. But in a lot of cases, there's nothing that you can really do directly. And there could be and most likely will be some problems coming up here. And we're going to have to deal with it and work through it if and when that happens. So, of course, I'll hope they don't. But you don't know. The other side of it is, is the physical potential of damage to internet connectivity. This is another thing that's being concerned about. Most of our internet traffic runs on fiber optic cables that go under the ocean. So mm -hmm. it's not really satellite-based. It's actually that kind of a thing. And those kind of cables are very easy to damage. And if they're attacked, they can take down entire countries, entire continents. We saw this with the eruption in the Pacific, that the cable got disrupted that was going down to the islands there. And it cut them off the internet for about three weeks until they were able to get it fixed. So that's, a, that's yeah. another area to be concerned from. I strongly recommend everybody, and I always have, have an AM radio that runs on batteries and just keep some of this old school technology around because it works. And if we were to lose something like the internet or have problems, that should and most likely will still work. Just make sure the batteries are good. All right, we do have a show for you this week. We're going to have an interview with Donald Bowman coming up about an event that's coming up in Las Vegas. We're also going to be talking about what Swift is. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We're going to switch gears a little bit here from that last segment and talk about something that a lot of people use as a stress relief. I know I do. And that yeah. is the games that you can get for your tablet or phone. Yes. <laughs> now, this has become a super big deal in recent years. These seem to have started out on Facebook. Some of the first ones were things like Farmville. I remember wasting a yeah, lot of oh, time yeah. on that. Oh, man, too much time wasted on too that. Too much time I wasted on that. A lot. Yeah. Tending the farm every day. I actually had a laptop that I wore out the mouse clicker. <laughs> the, oh, the button, the paint wore off the button from that game. So that's gone from there. But it seems like this has moved in a direction of tablets now. We've talked a lot about the bigger games that you get on your computer or your PlayStation or Xbox or that type of a thing. But there's a whole other industry of games that are 
part of the tablet scenario here. And I know that what got me started on those was one that uh, goes back a number of years now called Simpsons Tapped Out. Yes, that's been that's been so much fun. And uh, I know at a a comic when we went to the big Comic Con in San Diego a few years ago, they actually had a setup where you could get photographed in their world. And I I mean, that was kind of fun. And that was what that was a big deal. Now, Jeremy, I think you are our resident expert on this because you're the only person that I've ever seen that's run two games simultaneously on two different devices (laughs) and been able to play them together. (laughs) <laughs> well, the, the, the concept is you play two games that don't require focus at the same time that, that works so what what, do, what is your favorite game let's just start there uh well actually one of my favorite games currently is well I'm, the simpsons tapped out is definitely one of them but i'm also like just having fun playing all the different games that i have on my phones and tablets okay like um there's a there's a mahjong game i really enjoy um, there's a couple of games I have set specifically for flying on, on, uh, planes because they don't require internet, which is, uh, Mahjong. And there's a, a, a suite of games that I can't remember the menu, the maker of, but it's, it's a bunch of things like, uh, Chinese checkers, uh, solitaire. Yeah. I always like the solitaire. It, it, it has, I mean, it's got like dozens of these things there. You can, I can play battleship, um, dominoes. And it's just like this whole slew of all these different games, and it doesn't require being connected to the internet to play them. So there's, you know, ads built in or something, but it, it, that's been so much fun. Right. Now, I saw you playing a Star Wars game that looked kind of interesting. Yeah, it's a uh, Star Wars battle game, and it's from Disney and um, and Star Wars. So, the, you know, they're all working together, but it's you build a team of, of your either heroes or villains or you know, mercenaries in the I middle. I saw a mix on your team. Yeah, I, they were really cool. The graphics cute. are really pretty. It's very pretty on the tablet, too. Yeah. The new, the new tablet with the graphics. Ooh, so cool. Yeah, I always like It's appealing when you have some really cool graphics. Like on one of the games that I play, um, Trains 2. Train Station um, 2. Yeah, yeah. Train Station. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. um, I really like how they made the little areas and the little trains. They're so detailed. And they even puff little smoke, you know, as they go along the track. They're adorable. And they have, they'll have like a set of missions that'll happen where you, you uh, work with other people from all over the world. You know, they divide it up into four groups and you kind of compete against each other. And so that's a lot of fun. And then you can do other things on your own. So it, it, it takes, um, goes, it goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. So it's not you can do some stuff on your own or you can play with the other people, which is kind of neat. Yeah, and it does seem like a lot of these games have modes that they either require or highly recommend that are playing with other people. I know one game that I've liked lately that's actually pretty well done is the Wheel of Fortune game. Yeah, wow. I was watching. I, yeah. was, I was watching your over your shoulder while you were playing that. Yeah, and it's just <laughs> it's just a lot of fun. It makes you think a little bit. Now, I don't play that in teams, but you certainly can. And I've just found that they, they really have done it well. And one of the other things is, is the way that these companies make money, because most of the time these games are free to download. Mm-hmm. So you have a couple of different things going on there. Is, uh, Jeremy, you started to mention it before, is advertisements and that type yes. of thing. And then the other side of it is is microtransactions where you can buy premium currency usually or other things within the game mm-hmm. and advance in ways that you might not be able to if you didn't. So. In a lot of cases, and this is one thing that I know is a determining factor for me, is can I play the game without buying anything if I want to? Right. 
That doesn't mean I won't. I have no problem supporting the company that made it. But the other one, and this is, there was a Mahjong game that I really liked that was very pretty that I stopped playing because it forced 30-second commercials every time you changed boards. Yeah. And that just, that I have really old. like that. I, where yeah. I, I just will, well, even if I enjoy it, I'll dump them because it just gets annoying. Yeah. yeah. And I play the games to like to relax mm-hmm. or just to de-stress. Yeah. And um, I don't want to be constantly bombarded with commercials. Yeah, and that's that's my feeling, too. One game that I have really liked since it came out in the, the different iterations is Angry Birds. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Angry Birds 2 is actually really good. You've got your wanton destruction and everything like that, which is a big part of the fun of that. Mm-hmm. And it does have commercials and things, but you actually could play it without doing that. And it would work pretty well without buying the premium currency. So, you know, it's one that's been a lot of fun. And there's another one that they just came out with, which I'm a little bit more lukewarm on. And it's mainly because it doesn't have the destruction. And I like watching things collapse in the game. <laughs> mm, yes. So, <laughs> I'll see now. so I- you wouldn't like my Snoopy game. My yep. Snoopy game is just cute, but there's no wanton destruction in yeah. that. Yeah, it just... Uh, <laughs> It, it looks very, very interesting. And this is another issue, you know, that comes up all the time is you just got a new tablet and we've been working on moving your games from one to the other and your train station too, and other things went very easily, but we're still dealing with the Snoopy game. Yeah. You know, so that, and, and because you do end up investing a lot of time in these, it's mm, something exactly. where you don't want to lose your progress. And uh, yeah, so, I, yeah. It, I've been playing the Snoopy game for a couple of years and it's just like, I lost it once. And I felt like giving up on it because I was going to have to start all over. And I thought, okay, fine, I'll start over once. If I have to do it again, that's it. I'm not, you know, not going to play anymore. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Now, in their in their defense, the support has been really good, and uh, we're getting it worked out. But it is something you think about before you reset your old device. Make sure your game data has moved, and there's not really a standard for how that's done. So, no. a lot of them are different, and. Unfortunately, that does make it a little bit more difficult, but it's it's worth doing. I know another game that is an absolute addiction for me has been SimCity. Now, I've liked the SimCity <laughs> franchise since it came out, you know, on your VGA monitor years ago and that type I'm of thing. I'm the person who started you on that. Yeah, you I know, love so that is, game. This, this is your part. <laughs> I remember I remember when we went to Germany and we bought Bill the the German version yeah, of SimCity. Yeah, like it would have been fun. Yeah, it was. I still have it actually. It still plays Do you really? too. It functions. It functions and uh and it's really cool. And the tablet version of it is SimCity. It's a little bit different than the main simulators, but yeah. it's still been a lot of fun. And that one I do play with a team and and enjoy. So, you know, I, it's just kind of an interesting thing. They're a little bit of fun. You do have to watch your screen time because that can go very quickly. Yes. Uh, where you end up in there. And the other thing is it is very easy to spend a lot of money. So you do want to watch that mm. too. Yeah, everybody be careful. So, <laughs> anyway, this is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where you ask questions and we endeavor to give you answers. And keep them coming in. 503-766-6264 is our phone number. One user-friendly on Facebook, one user-friendly on Twitter, or userfriendlyshow.com are all places that you can submit your question 24-7. 
and we use them to program this spot. Now, the question that we're going to look at today is one that's been coming in a lot with the situation in the Ukraine, the war in the Ukraine, and it is that one of the things that the Western governments are doing is cutting Russia off of something called SWIFT, S-W-I-F-T. And what is SWIFT? That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and and it's one that's been coming in. Well, it's an acronym, and Gretchen, I know you love all these acronyms, but this one would be a mouthful to be able to say every time you (laughs) refer to this organization. So what SWIFT stands for is the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication. Yeah, no, let's just keep SWIFT. Uh, that's but, a much better thing. But that one is, that makes sense. It actually sounds like a word, and it's kind of unique. Yeah, I agree with you, Gretchen. In that case, that is an acronym that I think makes sense not to have to spell out every time. And it, and it yeah. sounds like a, like a word, you yeah. know? <laughs> and, and it is. So anyway, so what SWIFT is, is a system, it's called a messaging system. And um, what it is used for is being able to send financial transactions and other things between banks worldwide. So (laughs) what you're dealing with here is a situation where I want to um, do something like wire money to another country. Mm -hmm. And this is where you may use SWIFT. So a SWIFT code is assigned and the money is transferred from point A to point B to get the you know get it to where its destination is. So this type of a thing is used worldwide on a daily basis for banking transactions everywhere. So hmm. the company itself is based in Belgium and it was founded in 1973. Oh wow. So this has been something that's been around for a while pre-internet and they used to use other means to work and now we're online and I'm sure you use other methodologies to be able to do the transactions as well. But it's something that's basically, think of it as telegramming money in a way. Okay. Hmm. Makes sense. (laughs) So um, we may not see it as much here in the United States because a lot of the money that we wire and send is domestic. And this is something more that you would use for international, but it certainly could be used. So it helps between the different currencies? It works between the different currencies and different things like that. So the system is designed to be able to interact between financial situations, uh, I'm sorry, financial systems in different countries without the need to worry about that type of a thing. So what generally happens if you send a Swiss money transfer, let's say I'm sending money from England to France. Okay. Um, so England is on the British pound, of course, and France is on mm-hmm. the euro. So you have two different financial systems. Uh, since BRICS exit, uh, the UK is its own thing, so it's not part of the European Union. So you're dealing with two completely different systems to deal with the money. So you would send your funds, and you can choose whether you want to convert it into euros or send it as pounds, and then it's converted on the receiving end. Now, that piece of it would actually be done by the bank, but at the end of the day, what you would be looking at is where the conversion rate costs less and money transfer and values and all that kind of thing to figure out which end is better to do it on. But this all allows that to be done in an instant transaction instead of having to go through the process of physically converting money over, moving it somehow, and then getting it to where it's supposed to go. So you've got security. It's fast. A swift transfer can go through very quickly. (laughs) I've seen them within a day. I've seen them within a couple of days. It just depends on what's going on and the specifics of it. And it's secure because you're not physically moving currency, (laughs) Hmm. you know, uh, which uh, could be difficult. 
So that's what Swift is about. And going in the direction of what's happening right now, cutting Russia off of the ability to use Swift means that they cannot transfer money using this system into and out of Russia. They can't transfer using the ruble. Now, huh. there are other systems out there, and one of the things that they seem to be moving towards right now is cryptocurrencies, like Bitcoin and that type of a thing. But it oh, is boy. definitely creating difficulties because the money cannot be easily moved. So that's what that's all about, and that's what the SWIFT system is. And it's something that you mm. probably have used if you've ever wired money internationally, you just don't know about it. MoneyGram, any of that type of stuff works with these type of systems at some point. All right, this is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is user-friendly. Send us your questions. Send us your comments. Would you like to hear about something? One user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter, userfriendlyshow.com. Go to those places. Check it out. Send us what you'd like to hear. Joining me now is Donald Bowman, who is going to be talking about the Great Chef Run. Donald, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Bill. Great to be here. So let's dive right in. What is the Great Chef Run? Well, the Great Chef Run is... Uh... Uh, an unusual twist on a fundraiser. It's a, a 5K fundraiser race that's being held in Las Vegas and Nevada uh, in uh, aid of the Las Vegas, sorry, the Nevada Hotel and Lodging Foundation. Uh, we raise funds for scholarships for um, family members and, and members of our industry in Nevada. So the Great Chef Run is a fundraiser we decided to do rather than what is actually become a very common thing, like a gala dinner or um, some sort of uh, big dining event, uh, we thought we'd take a different stance. So we created the Great Chef Run. And if you think Santa Run and you imagine hundreds of Santas running across the, f the, the finish line of a 5K, but now imagine everyone in a chef's uniform. That's a picture of the Great Chef Run. It's a slightly different take on a fundraiser. So that sounds like something that would be really interesting to see. Hopefully you have a video of it somewhere. <laughs> uh, there will be lots of videos, lots of photography, uh, and it will be a, a real uh, visual thing. We've actually uh, partnered with uh, uh, an industry uniform company, Sintas, uh, design collective by Sintas, and they've created our race t-shirts for us with this um, design on the front, designed to make the white t-shirt look like a chef jacket. Uh, uh, another uniform company for chefs, ChefWorks, or have donated uh, chef hats for everyone to run in. Uh, so uh, it, that that really is going to complete the vision uh, or the visual, I should say. Now that sounds amazing. So we'll circle back and get some more information in a minute here. But first, go ahead and tell us kind of a ten thousand foot question: What is the Nevada Hotel and Lodging Foundation? Yeah, thanks for asking. It's it's a relatively new foundation. Uh, started in 2018, uh, stumbled through the pandemic, and and this is our first chance to do a big fundraiser. Uh, the goal of the foundation uh, is to be a substantial provider of educational financial support for Nevadan families in the hospitality industry. Um, we've got a huge membership, uh, as you imagine. Nevada is a is hospitality central. 
Uh, and particularly in the last couple of years, uh, it's been an industry that's been very hard hit. And so creating these scholarships for families and uh, of anyone in the hospitality industry to um, to benefit from uh, is is really it's really exciting for us, particularly after the last two years. So how did you get involved in the Great Chef Run? Well, twofold, I suppose. Um, I was on the board of the Nevada Hotel and Lodging Association. I used to run one of the hotels in Las Vegas um, and then became one of the founding members of the foundation. I'm also an avid runner. And someone else had this great idea and uh, I jumped on it. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I've run many 5Ks, many other races as well. And I thought, what a, what a really inventive way to capture pe- people's imagination and raise the profile of, of our industry and, and the foundation. So that's really what drew me in. So I know you had talked about everybody being in the chef suits and the chef hats and everything. What else sets the event apart from just other 5K races? Oh, well, yeah. Well, we're trying to do everything a little bit differently and, and build on this, this chef theme. Uh, so uh, at the end, instead of getting a medal, you're going to get an engraved wooden spoon as a, a, a memento. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> uh, if, you, uh, if you're in for a second or third place or in your age group, we've partnered with State Restaurant Equipment, a local uh, kitchen equipment provider. And uh, they're creating these really unique, uh, uh, instead of trophies, you might get a, a carved uh, charcuterie board or an engraved set of steak knives uh, and, and so forth. So something a little bit different, but really in keeping with the, the chef theme. And then after the, uh, the race, you cross the finish line. And maybe you've burned off five or 600 calories. You're going to um, go straight into a food festival where you can eat them all again. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> so hopefully you'll be net zero at the end of it. Uh, but we're, we're then drawing on this amazing pool of talent that we have in Las Vegas of celebrity chefs, amazing restaurants, amazing local culinary talent. And we're building out a food festival uh, in the grounds at Kellogg's Air Park here in Las Vegas. Uh, and there'll be... Chef demonstrations. Uh, there will be lots of tasty, delicious bites to try. We'll have a number of other vendors at the show as well, uh, as well as some local food trucks that are coming in, uh, just to provide uh, refreshments after the race. Uh, along with um, not yet confirmed, but we're hoping some uh, local DJ talent from the strip that might show up and, and entertain us along the way. So we really are drawing on all of our industry roots and, and connections and, and boiling it all into this one pot uh, that'll last three or four hours uh, on the morning of April 30th. My goodness, if one doesn't run, it sounds like it's worth it just for the food festival. <laughs> I, I, that description. I, I think you're right. I think we might have quite a lot of spectators for this race. <laughs> yeah, I might be among them too. <laughs> so can anyone participate or is it just people in the culinary industry? Oh, that's also a great question. No, anyone. We'd welcome anyone. Uh, and, and you don't even have to be uh, from from Las Vegas or Nevada. Fly in for it. We've got plenty of hotel rooms here. Um, yep, anyone can participate, although we do expect a, a, a very strong participation from a lot of the hotels and casinos based here in, in Las Vegas. Uh, fairly a lot of friendly competition amongst the buildings, uh, and there will be a team event for the largest team. Uh, as well. So I think we'll see a lot of people from the industry. Uh, but really, it's, it's a, it's just a great 
uh, event for anyone to experience. Actually, maybe even more fun for people that aren't in the industry. That's what I'm thinking too. So since we haven't covered it yet, I don't think, when is the Great Chef run? That's going to be an important detail. Great point. Uh, It's uh, uh, April the 30th. Uh, it's a Saturday morning. Uh, the race starts at nine and the food festival will open as soon as the winner crosses the finish line. And how do you uh, register? Oh, uh, you register on the website for the Nevada Hotel Lodging Foundation. Um, uh, and that will lead you to the, the registration site for the race. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Donald Bowman. I appreciate it. And I think I'm going to have to go check this out. It'll be a reason to head down to Vegas. We'll put that information up on our social media and we'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. I don't know, after hearing all of that from Donald Bowman last segment, I'm ready to go out there. I mean, the 500k run, fine, but the gourmet chefs doing the meal afterwards, you know, maybe I'll just watch the run. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sounds maybe, like Maybe some, use some kind of a scooter. Yeah, some <laughs> kind of a scooter. So yeah. since we didn't get to it in that interview, the date of the Great Chef run is April 30th. And cool. we'll go ahead and get the information out on our social media when we get a little bit closer to the event. But it does sound like a lot of fun. And you can just look up Great Chef Run if you want to get the information now and, and make arrangements to be there. So anyway, that being said, we've got some upcoming events, I think. <laughs> no, yeah, I guess a giant maybe. Giant maybe, yeah. This is all subject to... Um, uh, what's going on in the world and right now this can all change but but hey you know what's happening right now is they've uh, started the new season of the marvelous mrs Maisel. oh there we go yeah okay cool cool mm. i have not had a so, chance to watch i'm just i just caught up on book of boba fett so tell us yeah. about uh, mrs Maisel. well um she got herself in a whole lot of trouble uh the last season mm-hmm. where she um mentioned something about a performer that she was working with and during that era hinting at whether somebody might be homosexual could get them in a lot of trouble. So that this is the fifties and sixties. It could ruin their career. So she made the mistake. And so she got dumped off of the um, tour. And yeah, and that's how they left it. Yeah. She was like standing there at the airport, you know, watching the plane take off without her. And we're all like, Oh, Mm -hmm. So, so now <laughs> we she we've returned. She's picked herself up, dusted her, dusted herself off, and is trying to recover her life. Yeah, uh, and it, <laughs> it's it's not a one that they didn't dump all the episodes. It's one episode every Friday, right? Oh, so you can't so you, watch this one, eh? No, it's so fun, and the actors are so good, and the writing is so clever, and they, they did a lot of artistry to give you the true feeling of the era they really it seems like they've stayed true to it okay, so it sounds impressive. like it sounds like a decent series and obviously you like it what what is it on netflix i think it's on Hulu. amazon amazon it's an amazon it's an amazon, it's okay. an amazon thing <laughs> so yeah so we have another guess no <laughs> <laughs> all right so amazon the amazing mrs mavel i'm saying that Maisel. right Maisel. 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 okay yeah, i didn't yeah. think i was and I'm going to have to go ahead and take a look at this too. Is this something that no, kids can watch? I think it's watch? marvelous. Is this uh, something that kids can watch? 
No, they swear. Okay. Oh gosh, they swear and there's nudity. Okay. So the marvelous Mrs. Maisel is, is not for kinder. <laughs> right, there you go. There you go. So this is something that you would want to watch a little later in the evening. All right, coming up next month, Game Developers Conference, March 21st through the 25th. We're looking at that. And until then, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2022. User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. The views and opinions on this show are those of the host and not necessarily those of the User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensed by BMI. Hosting provided by WeirdTechnology.com. Podcast available at UserFriendlyNation.com, TheAnswerPortland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.